Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. From uh, sunny view outside the ESPN studios in Denver. Obviously, we're not on the fan again this week because of a, the Oklahoma-Texas football game kind of bumped us over. Next week, we will be back at our regular time, uh, 9 to 11, on the fan. I think we have one or two bumps in November, and hopefully that's it for quite a while. Uh, and we'll be at our regular time. So if you're tuning in, you're catching us for the first time because you never knew we were on the fan, you like the outdoor programming, follow us back over to the fan, 9 to 11, or listen to our podcast at 1043thefan.com. Uh, we podcast, you can go back months. We cover hunting, fishing, camping, everything they do in Colorado State Parks and just so much more. We are winding down our dog question contest where our dog trainer, Ben Garcia, next Saturday, Ben is going to start answering questions that you've sent in. The questions have to be in by the 12th of October. There's two ways you can send your questions in. One is to go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. There's a post that's pinned to the top of the page. You just make a comment with your question in there. If you have two questions, put it in as two separate comments. Or you can email your question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Gmail. Out of those questions, not only is our professional dog trainer, Ben Garcia, going to answer those questions on the air, but one person is going to be drawn at random to win their choice of either a $50 gift certificate from Colorado Clays or three free oil changes at Prestige Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Longmont. And trust me, that three oil change package, if you're anywhere close enough to Longmont, it's over two years I get my cars and trucks serviced there all the time. They've just got certified technicians. You're in and out in a half hour, and it's synthetic oil. It is just so good. And that's over $100 value. So there's some real things. So get your dog training questions into us. Let's go to the phones. So, well, instead of eating up his time, and talk to Mr. Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing really well. Got a busy day planned today, but never too busy to start the day talking to you. <laughs> I like that. I am on the mini middle of Spinning Mountain Reservoir. We got a uh, a beautiful twenty to thirty mile an hour chop. So I'm uh, I'm buried under the dashboard trying to keep it quiet. But uh, it is a it's a great day to be a sportsman here in Colorado. Oh, it really is. We got great weather. You know, we're going to get a little cool weather coming up. This upcoming change means the next few days the animals are going to sense it. They're going to start both fish and game are going to start moving. And then when that cold front hits, it's going to spur that fall feeding and change some patterns. And then we're going to be, I think, by next week, we'll get back to seasonal temperatures. But I think we're truly going to be in a fall mode, don't you? Absolutely, Terry. And honestly, I'm up here at Spinney right now, and fishing's good, but we need some cool down. So, you know, we're obviously here uh, October 9th today, and I usually am sitting at that 48, 50 degree water temperature. And today I'm at 57. Um, you know, with this wind hitting me hard, I'm going to cool down just a little bit. But in reality, we're pretty drastically warm on water temperatures and fishing's good, but we really need it to be that 50 degrees. And that's really what it takes to kind of lay down those weeds, kick up the, the fall bite for the pike. 
uh, and most importantly, gather the trout. Right now, we have trout across the entire system. And again, fish is not bad, but you can catch fish in 20 feet of water, and we're catching fish in two feet of water. And really, that, that colder water is going to gather the fish together. So it's just going to increase your numbers. Now, you're going to have to look for them a little more, as opposed to right now, they're kind of everywhere. But once they gather, that's really when this fall fishing just gets absolutely incredible. So right now, I am very welcoming the, the cold weather just to really bring that on. It does everything. So the walleye, it will just tighten up those shad and make the walleyes condense more. Uh, it'll bring in that fall bite for the pike by dropping the weeds, and it'll gather the trout. So this upcoming cold front uh, is very welcoming, uh, I'd say, for from all my aspects of looking at it. You know, another thing that jumped out at me just now, when you said the fish were everywhere, Typically, that happens in the fall right after turnover because the oxygen gets totally mixed and then the lake starts to stratify again by temperature. Um, do you think some of our lakes have turned over or are about to? Yes, our, our lakes did turn over here up in the high country, so we just got done with that turnover. And it's exactly what you said. It, it allows those fish to be spread out everywhere. So, again, it's good. But instead of having to jump everywhere for them and kind of get, you know, fish here, fish there, as a guide and, you know, somebody who relies on these fish to be gathered, I love it when that water cools down and those fish condense up a little more. So, um, again, we did have turnover in a lot of the mountain lakes. Uh, so, so that's definitely happening for sure. Yep. One thing I want to mention, I know you're going to talk a little more fishing, then you want to get into big game hunting. But we're not that far. People don't realize we're only – probably six to eight weeks away from the mountain lake starting to freeze if we get normal weather you should be once this turnover is done and those lakes start to stratify you should be paying attention to where those fish are to help you plan your ice fishing I could not agree more, Terry. I mean, I know that it's early to talk about that, but we've been doing a lot of live feeds for some of our ice fishing partners, and it's definitely worth that. When I'm out on the boat here, especially at Antero, where I'll be doing a ton of ice fishing, I'm marking weed lines, and I'm looking where the fish are at, but more than even the fish, I'm really marking the spots that I want to fish. When you deal with uh, a vast vegetation lake like Antero, where you have huge flats, and tons of weed growth, I'm marking those specific lines that I want to fish to where I know the fish are going to be following these weed, you know, pockets and lines to where I want to set up right to the side of them where I'll find these bigger open holes in the middle of a thick weed patch. I know that's a perfect feeding area. So I'm definitely, when I'm out here, I am marking a lot of stuff on my handheld GPS, on my phone, uh, to where when it comes ice, it's going to allow me to drill a lot less holes and just walk right to the fish and start being successful. So definitely, even though we're, again, you know, six to ten weeks away from ice, depending on where you're at, um, I would definitely start keeping that in mind. Again, you're not having to spend the whole day doing it, but while you're out and about fishing, where you still have the boats, it is so much easier to graph from a boat, learn the area, and mark it on a handheld, and walk right to that spot on the ice, opposed to, you know, drilling 50 holes trying to find that spot once you're on the ice. One, it's a lot of work through the ice. Two, obviously you're making a lot of noise while doing so. If you can just go right to the spot and drill a hole, obviously it's going to be a better world for everybody. And pretty soon you won't be able to put boats on because a lot of the ramps are going to close. Before we run out of time, though, Nate, let's switch up. I know you want to talk big game. Uh, We've got the rifle seasons coming up. uh, where are the animals at? Are they still in a rut? What's going on? Absolutely, Terry. We have a lot of stuff going on. So tomorrow's the last day of our rifle pronghorn season for the Eastern Plains. Uh, Mandy and myself, we had a great opener rifle last weekend, so that was really exciting. Also, I was able to, to hunt with a youth hunter, so a lot of cool stuff happened last weekend. But as we look forward, probably the most anticipated elk hunt of the year is this upcoming first rifle. So it's just an elk-only rifle season. It starts next Saturday. 
right now our animals are still in full rut. So those cows are in their second phase or basically a third phase of estrus. Um, the bulls are gathering a bigger harem just so they have lots of numbers of cows to watch to make sure they get bred for the season. But long story short, this break between archery and rifle really over about the last five years has really spurred on one of the bigger phases of the rut. Uh, it's just mother nature. Anytime that you have hunting pressure, you have you know, people enjoying the outdoors, people looking at leaves. Anytime there's a lot of pressure in the fall, obviously that pressure will affect those animals. They're still breeding and still rutting, but I wouldn't say it's as conducive as it is right now. This week between archery and rifle, the leaves are off the trees. It's getting colder, so we're not seeing as much camping and hiking. And really, it is a very low-pressure time in, in the woods for these animals to kind of really ramp up that rut breeding season. So we are seeing a full-blown rut right now, pretty much statewide for our elk. So they are bugling, they're cow calling, and the nicest thing, they're in big numbers. So as opposed to a couple weeks ago where we were seeing – you know, one bull and 10 cows. Now we're seeing big groups. So 60, 70, 80 cows, you know, 13 satellite bulls, big herd bulls. It's all happening right now. The big question is if this cold front will have enough to pull some of those bigger bulls off. It seems like every year, some year we have really nice weather and maybe a full-blown rut for that opening rifle. Some years we get situations where we get a good cold front or a lot of snow. And there's no doubt the rut is still going, but some years are bigger bulls and really mature bulls will just start to leave the cones and that happens. So if anybody's gas I would still plan on really approaching this first rifle season using calls and the vocals where the elk are at um, and, and really kind of dial it in. Um, with that said, I do have to mention that I have a live feed with Canada Parks and Wildlife on Tuesday, and we're probably most excited with this live feed than we've ever been. I'm going to be joined with Officer Scott Murdoch and we're going to talk about bringing archery and muzzleloading tactics of calling into this first rifle season. And by Tuesday night live, we're really going to see the effects of this cold front, and we will be able to walk into exactly what the elk are doing. So just have to throw that out there to everybody. Uh, again, we have a great live feed. That's Tuesday evening on Colorado Parks and Wildlife's Facebook page and Instagram page at 7 p.m. Uh, but with that, I, again, I do anticipate it being calling first rifle season, uh, but I do only anticipate that lasting a day or two. So, if you're going to go into that first rifle hunt, I think the elk are going to be bugling. I think you're going to hear cows talking. I think you can use calls to motivate them to talk to get their location. But I think by Sunday afternoon, going into Monday, between the cold and, and obviously the, the rifle hunters being in the woods, I do think that rut will wrap up extremely quick. So I think to all the hunters out there, keep that in mind. I think the opening Saturday, you're going to hear a lot of bugling. There's going to be a lot of opportunity, but I do think it will go away fairly quick. Uh, just with the pressure this cold front hitting us this week. Uh, you cut out a little bit on me, but I got the gist of everything you said. And I think I think one of the important things is you're going into the rut, as you said, this weekend. There's going to be a lot of vocal animals. But, boy, once they become less vocal, you have to become less vocal, and you can really blow the hunt. 100%, Terry. If, if they are out of the rut and you go into that in a calling situation, it is a red flag. And not only do they not talk back, but they will go into the timber. They will avoid those calls. So, again, just like we said during archery and muzzle, but this first rifle is even more important. If they're talking, you can talk. If they're not, you absolutely cannot. So, so that's going to be the good thing. And, and go into this hunt with lots of plans. You know, in that first rifle hunt, go into it ready to call. So if the animals are calling, you can call back. But also have a really good concept of 
where you think they are and how you get into that area without being seen or smelled. You know, where is a high point where you can sit in elevation where you can glass and shoot, but yet still not get blown out with the wind? Really about your thermals. You know, they suck down in the morning, they switch mid-morning, they suck up, they switch again in the afternoon. But in a rifle hunting situation, we like being higher up to where we can see and have a vantage point. We like being higher up to where we can get a shot. But anytime that you gain elevation, your thermals and your smell will be going downhill and oftentimes where the animals are at. So you really have to have a foolproof plan going into this first rifle season. So go into this hunt with the concepts of calling, with the concepts of sitting and glassing, with the concepts of spotting and stalking. This first rifle season, the, the hunter that's going to have the most success is the hunter that is adapt to go into it with any tactic, whether that's sitting, stalking, or, or a calling situation. But any time uh, you go into this first rifle hunt, as late as we are this year, post-cold front, it's really anybody's guess what the animal's going to be doing. You have to be ready to execute on all levels of those tactics. We are out of time, Nate, but... Quickly tell people how they can get a hold of you and if you have any events coming up. Absolutely. You know, today we got a lot of stuff going on. We are excited to start talking about ice addiction. You can always go to our Facebook page, tightlineoutdoors.com. You can always go to my Instagram page for hunting updates, which is just Nate Zelinsky. Uh, but again, I'd say the biggest thing, go to Colorado Parks and Wildlife's Facebook page and their hunting Instagram page is Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Uh, join us for that live feed. Bring your questions. I promise you there should be a lot of information that's going to help you become more successful this coming hunting season. All right, my friend, we will talk to you next week at our regular talk time. All right. Thank you, sir. You bet. Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. A little bit of trouble with the phone, but we'll podcast that anyway. Make sure to see if you can catch any of it. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to totally change things up. As Colorado Parks is going to talk to us about a geology event. That's right, geology, right here on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. I almost said 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, 65 years of serving the outdoor public. If you haven't been in a store, just bop in. If you're an outdoor enthusiast, you might never leave. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Roxborough State Park is Angel Tobin. Good morning, Angel. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing on this? What a, I, well, I'm close enough to you, and I can see the mountains, so I know you have a beautiful sunny day right now. We absolutely do. It's beautiful with the fall colors and the in the mountains and the formations jetting up, it's absolutely gorgeous today. Of course, you have such a uh, an ugly park. Why would anybody come there? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? You have a, a major event coming up. We want to talk about that. But I think we should throw a little light on uh, Roxborough State Park because I think a lot of people don't realize the resource you provide so close to the metro area. Kind of tell them where it's located and describe the park. Sure. We are about 45 minutes southwest of downtown Denver, or possibly about 10 minutes or so from Chatfield State Park. Um, We're um, close to Wadsworth Boulevard, and uh, like I said, southwest. And the formations that we have here, you can recognize them probably like Garden of the Gods or Red Rocks, those formations that are jetting straight up into the sky. They're just gorgeous, especially on a day like today with the blue, blue sky, and it's just in the fall colors. It's absolutely beautiful. A lot of wildlife viewing here, and it's just a fun place to come and hike. I think you have just a tremendous amount of deer this year, don't you? Oh, my gosh, yes. On my way in this morning, I I saw them on my right and on my left and right in front of my car. There's just so many of them. They're very active right now. And it's just a great place. It's so beautiful, and like you said, it's 
really, if people know where Chatfield State Park is, you're just kind of, I guess, south you'd be of that. It's not, I mean, you're almost next-door neighbors. Now, Roxborough's a day-use park, is that right? That is correct. We, yep, we're, um, right now we're open till 7 p.m., but it varies through the seasons, um, our opening and closing times. And so when people come there, they come there, I mean, they come there to hike and enjoy the views and see the geology and see the wildlife. And But you have a variety of hiking trails. We do. We For the beginning hiker, we, you can just go a few hundred feet to one of our beautiful overlooks. Or for the more experienced hiker, we have the Carpenter Peak, which is a six-mile round trip, 1,000-foot elevation gain. It hooks uh, up with uh, Pike National Forest and other forest trails for you to be able to enjoy just depending on what you'd like to do for the day you can spend the day going all over the place high low in between and yeah it's just beautiful and if you wanted to bring a picnic lunch with you you have kind of a patio don't you we do we have a a great little patio probably about eight tables or so with a wonderful cover that we just um just installed which allows you to still see the formations and it just really adds to the ambience of the place now, I believe next next week, October 16th from 9 to 3 is when you're having your event. Tell us about that event. Sure. We are celebrating International Archaeology Day with an expo. It's a fun time. Um, it's our 10th annual event for us at Roxborough. And usually we have it at Roxborough State Park, but the last few years we've outgrown it, and now we're having it at the school, which is right down the street. And um, I'll give you the um, information where you can find out exactly how to get there and what's going on there. But it's just a a great time to celebrate and foster an appreciation for Colorado's rich archaeological resources, and specifically along the Front Range, and it's dating back to over 30,000 years with Lamb Spring. So um, it's just a fun time. We have a lot of of fun things for the whole family. We have a kids' area where they can make instruments um, and paint with yucca brushes that they make themselves, pounding them. Um, and we're also partnering with 12 other agencies uh, this year, so it's just going to be a, really a lot of inter- informational booths, interactive areas, um, ancient skills such as flint napping, pottery making, lithophones. And lithophones are cool because they're musical instruments that are actually made of rock, which when you strike them, they produce musical notes. It's super cool. Um, we have an archaic stack snack stand, uh, mono matate, which is a flat rock and, that, and then a round one that you hold, and you get to grind rocks. And um, we have three amazing professional presenters this year um, to be able to listen to, and that'll be inside. Everything else is going to be outside, so it's going to be great for um, you won't have to wear a mask outside, but inside the lectures you will, of course. And uh, it's just a real fun time. Well, and fortunately, unfortunately, you outgrew the park capacity for it. But fortunately, because you do it at the school now, the event is totally free, except for if you do take, there are some trips you can go out on. And if they happen to go into a state parks, you would need a pass. Is that right? That is correct. We do have three um, on-site tours, and one of them is Roxborough State Park, uh, which is great because you get to um, learn about the um, archaeological resources here at the park and you get to see some of our artifacts um, and you talk to some of our volunteers. But, yeah, once you, if you come into the park, you do need a, a $10 uh, day entrance pass or an annual pass um, to be able to come in and park. Um, other than that, the event at the school is totally free, and uh, we definitely want you to come on by and check it out. Well, and it's going to be so beautiful. What an excuse to get out 
on uh, an October day in Colorado and see one of the most beautiful sites. I think there's a number of resources Colorado State Parks has close to the metro area that people don't realize you don't have to drive for two or three hours to enjoy um, the resources, and Roxborough is one of those. And, and, in fact, once you get a pass to get into Roxborough, if you want to bop over to Chatfield, the same pass will, will get you in. But tell us again how you find out more information and how you get there. Sure, you can go to CPW's website and, and, and click on to Roxborough, and we have something right on in front of our page um, to, to click on that you can find out more information about International Archaeology Day. We also have with History Colorado, so it's historycolorado.org um, forward slash 2021-IAD-Expo. That'll give you all the information and the sign-up process and and uh, again, uh, sign up is just required for the lectures. But other than that, uh, you can just pop on by, check it out, and and also, um, as you were saying, come by to have a site visit at the park, enjoy this beautiful resource here, and see a lot of wildlife, and just enjoy the day. Oh, it just sounds tremendous! It's October sixteenth from nine to three. There's no charge. It's going to be so much interesting things going on. Uh, look, looking for something to do? Drive down, stop by, and. Uh, Take advantage of all the resources down there. Angel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Terry. Have a good day. You bet. Just a great resource. That's Angel Tobin from Roxborough. If you haven't been to Roxborough, the trails, the wildlife, it's such a beautiful part of the state. Now, it's not going to have fishing or hunting on it. It's a walking, enjoying park. But, boy, it is tremendous. Speaking of fishing, we're going to take a time out, and we come back. Austin Parr from Discount Fishing Tackle is going to join us, and we're going to talk fishing, and there's a lot of great fishing going on in Colorado, and you're going to hear all about it on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. From 9 to 11 over on the 104.3 The Fan side, that's our home. We've been there since, uh, well, we've been on the fan since 1998, but every now and then a football game or something bumps us over to the uh, our sister station ESPN. We're always glad to be here. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Discount Tackle is Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm looking outside, and it's sunny. It's beautiful. We're headed into fall. The temperatures are going to drop a little bit this week. Must be time to put the fishing rods away and give it up, right? <laughs> That's what a lot of people are thinking right now, and especially after all this uh, crazy additional traffic over the last year and a half with COVID, it might be a, a nice reprieve to get out and catch a lot of fish here with less anglers on the water. Uh, and, you know, fall fishing. Uh, you and I talk about this all the time. When you start, there's two times of the year when you have a much better chance of catching big fish. One is in the spring during spawning seasons. The other is in the fall where some fish are spawning and others are just getting ready for winter. And where a cold change in weather like we're having coming this week in the spring will shut things down, it has just the opposite effect this time of the year, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, When we start getting a nice cold snap like this, it really accelerates that uh, tendency for those fish to be feeding heavily in the fall. And we're already starting to see some big walleyes at Metro impoundments like Chatfield and Cherry Creek. But this little cold snap here may just be the snap that we need to kill off some additional shad and get those big fish uh, really going. Why don't you take us through what you're seeing now in case somebody wants to get out there in the next couple days and then what you think we're going to see after the cold front and going into maybe the end of next week. Yeah, so right now at Cherry Creek, May have seen a lake turnover. Uh, it really, we had last week a situation where the fish were very concentrated 
and then have uh, kind of become a bit more scattered, but they're starting to get back onto structure points a little more regularly right now. Uh, in the early morning, I've still been starting off a little bit shallower in that uh, under 10 foot of water range and then drifting out to the deeper water as the day progresses. Now, jigging wraps have been best for me out there. Purple tones have been very effective, but then also having them uh, glow hot perch style colors that really aren't very perchy. It's more of a kind of a bluish back with some chartreuse and orange mixed in that a lot of times separates from some of those other shad, which I find to be effective at times. But working those baits on a cast or a strolling technique where I have my boat moving at about three quarters of a mile an hour and I'm snapping that rod to the side as I'm moving over the course of structure points. And that's been effective throughout the day, honestly. Uh, With a little bit of wind in the afternoon, it has been a little bit more productive as usual uh, for the afternoon walleye bite. But then shifting over to Chatfield, seeing generally the same fish are set up on some structure points. They're a little bit scattered with as many bait fish as out there, which is to be expected. But the whole key on both of these lakes is moving around and finding a small grouping of fish and fishing to it, but yet not setting up on that spot for too long. I'm moving around pretty, pretty regularly, and, and you'll catch the aggressive fish right off the bat, and then it might die off for a while. You potentially could have some fish move back through, but a lot of times I get a bit impatient and move around because of all the structure points on the different lakes and find some more fish to be had. Now, ironically, typically uh, Cherry Creek is a better blade bait lake, but I have been doing a little bit better at Chatfield on blade baits, but some blades are a little bit less shiny. Whites and pinks have been uh, really productive for me out there with some jigging wraps still mixed in. You know, you're absolutely right about the fish being everywhere. If those lakes did turn over, and I'm suspecting they did, uh, Nate Zielinski told us earlier that Spinney and Eleven Mile have turned over and some of the other mountain lakes, and you know these aren't going to be far behind. Where you had fish concentrated, just like you said, because when they turn over, the oxygen and the temperature are equal throughout every part of the lake until it restratifies. Yep. That's why you get the fish spread out. And what we should see going forward on the warm water species especially is they're going to start to gather more and more into groups, don't you think? I would definitely agree with that, and especially on lakes like Pueblo and Chatfield that have additional depth. As the water starts to, to get cooler, you'll find those fish set up on deeper water spots. But still, you want to be cautious fishing the fish in very deep water due to the fact of uh, some barrow trauma coming up there. But you'll find fish in that deeper than 20 foot of water range. And Cherry Creek, they'll sit out there in that main basin, but they just don't concentrate as much because there aren't the deep water structure points out there. So you'll find fish more on the base of some of those humps, whereas at Chatfield and Pueblo, They'll be out on that deeper structure, and you can vertical jig to them or cast to them with some of these same techniques we've been discussing. Uh, Pueblo has a real good variety of species. Have you heard much about the different bites down there right now? So it depends upon the day. There's some days that guys have been having good success. There's other days that it's been a little bit slower. It's the same type of situation I've been finding on Cherry Creek with this standard uh, warmer weather pattern. And with some cooler weather, hopefully it's going to start to spur things along, as we mentioned. But definitely deeper out there already. Uh, I've been hearing in that 25-foot range has been worthwhile. More jigging spoons than jigging wraps down there. And in general, that lake does better on a vertical jig presentation, in my opinion, for the sole purpose being that it is a very snaggy lake. And casting a jigging wrap a lot of times equals losing that jigging wrap without a lure retriever. Whereas at Chatfield and Cherry Creek, you can get away with a long cast and not get snagged up in most places. But if you can find those big pods of fish and vertical jig to them, you might catch everything from a walleye to a wiper, a spotted bass or a smallmouth, even a crappie or a largemouth all can be underneath those shad schools. And this time of year when the bait fish are as prolific as we are seeing, 
all the fish are eating them. They're all keyed in on them, and you might catch a wiper on one drop and a walleye on the next and a spot on the next. So that's uh, one of the nice things about that particular lake. And then you can also think about those same type of species variances as you're heading up to places like Lake McConaughey, where those smallmouth and wipers and white bass and walleyes all are in the same place, and, and the spoon and jigging rat bite can be good up there too. Uh, you're absolutely right. I'm going to throw in another species for both um, Pueblo and Glendo that I've had tremendous success while I've been spooning. In fact, if you go to my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there is a jigging spoon video, one on Pueblo and one on McConaughey. One species people don't talk about enough that I pick up all the time, and actually some state records in Colorado have been caught doing it this time of the year, and that's catfish. Yep, I knew you were going to be going that direction. And catfish have a tendency to like uh, biting on jigging wraps and blade baits this time of year, just like these other species. They're way more of a predator species than people think that they are, and especially those flatheads down there will really get up on those bait fish schools in a big way. And I've been hearing reports from McConaughey where some walleye guys have been going up there and complaining about how many catfish they're catching. And in my opinion, that's a good problem to be having, especially when a lot of those fish are in that 8 to 10-pound range. So you can get some really nice eaters and uh, really a good fight as well in that deeper water. You're absolutely right. Three, four minutes left. What's happening on the mountain lakes? Starting to see some good stuff up there. Uh, I've been hearing good things about uh, some good salmon runs starting. I, I believe you were mentioning that you had some guys on from Blue Mesa coming up here, so they may make mention of that. Uh, but the salmon runs have been good. I've certainly been hearing good things about spinny. The weed growth has started to lay down a little bit up there. And so there's less pronounced weed edges at that lake than we've seen in years past. But still, folks are having good success on tube jigs up there, as well as uh, trolling around with some Tasmanian devils. Uh, I also like breaking out a jointed rapala this time of year, especially in some of those brown trout colors. That always has been a really good, worthwhile choice for me. Uh, North Park is always a good thing to be thinking about this time of year as well. The same type of, of uh, techniques will work up there. But with those brown trout spawning, the one thing to make mention of is that there are spawning nets up there from Parks of Wildlife, so make sure to steer clear of those when fishing. But working bigger jerk baits uh, like cutters or a J-spec from HD lures can work exceedingly well. And then mixing in your tube jigs. Now, that lake is a gold medal-style lake, but you can fish scented baits above an inch and a half. So a gold minnow is another really good thing to be thinking about, especially if you're shifting over to Lake John where there's a, a large bait fish population with little sticklebacks and fathead minnows. Uh, just up, I was just up there the other day, and there is a very nice defined weed line around that whole edge of that lake, and, and we were catching some nice cut boats on the, along those edges. Well, you know, those big browns you're talking about, whether they're in the Colorado River or they're in the Delaney's, or we're going to talk about those being on Blue Mesa, as you said, we're coming up in the next segment. You almost can't throw too big a lure this time of year at those bait. I know. Big giant suspending jerk baits are some of my favorites. You can work them erratically, but then pause them, and uh, those fish will eat that on the pause. And a lot of times if I'm going up there with one of my buddies, I'll either be throwing a, a big jerk bait, but then the, the other guy I like to set up with a marabou jig, something a little bit slower and an easier presentation can certainly be a, a good follow-up, especially if you, you have a fish that flashes at it and you have the ability to cast that other bait over there to it. Uh, that can be a good one-two punch to catch those fish uh, along those edges. And don't overlook big streamers if you're a fly fisherman. I'm talking three- to yep. six-inch long streamers. And you can get the same type of action if you're running a sink tip with a generally unweighted articulated fly. Get that 
sink tip to drop it down there a little bit in the water column, but as you're stripping it, it sits and holds in the water column rather than a heavily weighted streamer that's going to uh, nosedive down to the bottom. You're absolutely right. So last question for you. We got nice weather today, cools off a little bit tomorrow and Monday, and I think Tuesday's when Tuesday, Wednesday, we get really whacked. If you're going to go fishing right before this cold front, where would you go and right after where would you go? I would be hard-pressed to not hit Cherry Creek locally. We've been catching some really nice big walleyes as of late. Historically, when that first opportunity to catch some legitimately large walleyes over 10 pounds. So that would be a high on my list. But then if I was going after the cold front and wanting to do something a little bit different, McConaughey would also be high on my list for the fact that when you get that water to start cooling off, those big, giant walleyes up there can really start congregating underneath those alewife and shad schools. I think you're absolutely right, my friend. Thank you so much. If people want to talk to you more, get more information, where can they find you? I'm a discount fishing tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. Always enjoy it, Austin. Get out. We need to fish together. I would love to love to do it here before the season ends. Yeah, we should try to make that happen. Thank you, my friend. Thanks so much, Tony. Austin Parr from Discount Fishing Tackle. We're going to take a time out, and we come back, we're going to switch things up a little bit again as we're going to be joined by the folks from Fly Fishing International and talk about a super event they've got coming up that you're not going to want to miss on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You know, Michael, sometimes I get lost in the music. I forget to start the segment. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Let's go to the phones. And uh, joining us from Fly Fishing International is Tim Papich. Good morning, Tim. Hey, good morning, Terry. Thanks for having us on. Oh, no problem. You know, I, you got a big event coming up. It's uh, it's the uh, first part of November, and we're going to keep reminding people about it. We're going to get in detail about that here in just a minute. But I think a lot of people aren't really familiar with Fly Fishing International. I think a lot of fly fishermen are. They remember the Federation of Fly Fishers, uh, the whole thing. You go back to um, Lee Wolf and Bob Jacklin and some of those people who had such impact on it. But kind of explain Fly Fishers International. Will do. So, yeah. So, number one, we've gone through two name changes uh, over the last few years. So, right now, we're known as Fly Fishers International. Uh, usually, people just say FFI. Um, you can find us at flyfishersinternational.org. And, you know, really what we focus on versus like Trout Unlimited is just focusing on trout. We're more focusing on flood to fly fishing, um, you know, the whole legacy of fly fishing. And we look at uh, not just trout and freshwater, but also salmon, uh, you know, saltwater, uh, bass, walleye, all anything to be caught with a fly rod is what we look at. And uh, a lot of our, you know, drive is conservation, obviously, because you don't have good, good water, you can't fish. Uh, but then another equally big part is our education uh, section. You know, we have a big fly casting uh, group, which uh, you can get certified as a fly caster, but you can also earn a uh, bronze, bronze, silver, and gold uh, certificate for um, mastering certain things in casting. And we have the same uh, deal with fly tying. We have a bronze, silver, and gold uh, awards there where you have to tie a certain number of flies, and then they're judged, and then you, you can get those. So. If you really want to increase your skill set and your knowledge, and actually it's just fun to do also, um, you know, those are two great things. And the person's going to be talking here in a minute, Patty Lucan, uh, she's really involved in the Women's Connect. And, you know, women have gotten to be a much bigger part of fly fishing over the last uh, couple decades. So 
Um, we have a whole group just dedicated to, to women, and that's really nice. So, And locally, our chapter is the High Plains Drifters. Um, if anybody's interested, go into some monthly meetings, and they have trips. So that's the biggest group. We also have groups in Pueblo, um, over on the Western Slope, and all that information is on our website if anybody's interested. Well, I think you're absolutely right about the education, especially the fishing education part that you guys do compared to other organizations. A couple of things I love about the affinity groups, and I've uh, given presentations to your groups in the past, um, is the they're hungry to learn to fish. They're hungry to learn. They, they understand conservation is necessary, but they really want to accelerate. And belonging to an affinity group like Fly Fishers International, you get to rub shoulders with people of similar similar interest, but also of different levels. So you can get to compare notes and presentations. Like I gave a presentation on fishing still waters one time to the High, high Plains Drifters, I think they're called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always find that people who grew up fishing rivers are hesitant to fish still waters because the fly ten, the river tends to position the fish and make your presentation or help you make it where still waters are totally different but once they learn you know almost any species of fish can be caught on a fly rod it just opens up so many possibilities let's get to your event right now you said do you want to talk about it or did you want to introduce your guest to talk about it i'll, I'll let patty patty lucan's her name she's been the driving force behind this it's the uh we're calling it a virtual expo we normally have a in-person expo every year but due to covid and everything they decided to go a different route and so uh patty is like i said been the real driving force and she's done an outstanding job in my opinion so um i'll turn it over to you patty and let you uh talk about it good morning patty well, yeah good morning terry so good to uh that you're allowing us to be on your show to talk about uh the virtual expo which is november five through seven well we're, now, we're having some uh activities early uh, right now, so you can, if you want to get involved early, you can, but the main activities will be November 5 through 7. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. I want to get into some details on how people can help and why you have this expo. But one of the things that always intrigues me when we have a prominent woman in the outdoor industry on the show, my wife, Karen, who's the producer of my radio and television shows, and she's uh, an avid angler who's... Um, She's actually got Master Angler Awards, I think, from six different countries. And she used to do a series on our radio show called Women in the Outdoors. And it's been so rewarding to see the industries in the last few years really responding to that that demographic. Do you find it that way? I do. And I'm so excited to uh, say that Fly Fishers International has really come a long way with uh, adding women uh, they've always been a part of Fly Fishers International, but it's really been an emphasis for the last several years. And uh, it's it's just incredible how many women that we have brought into Fly Fishers International since we started a group within FFI called Women Connect. And it's uh, really, really growing. And well, we'd love to have your wife be a part of that. Well, we'll see. She's got a busy schedule just keeping me in line. So, <laughs> Oh, well, I, I am sure that's true. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the event. Now, before we get it, I want to kind of set the stage. Obviously, we've all seen the sports shows. I've been involved in them, and, and we've seen these groups and these auctions and banquets. They go on as, not only to get the public to interact, but to expose them to new 
processes, new techniques, new equipment, but they end up being fundraisers for a lot of these groups too. So when people look at this expo, it's not going to be an in-person, it's going to be a virtual one. Don't look at it as just a place to go learn. Look at it as your you're supporting an incredible group for education and conservation. So tell us now what's going on. Describe the event. All right. Well, we're going to have about 150 workshops and classes, and they're going to be anything fly fishing. If you want to talk about uh, still water, if you want to talk about fast-moving water, we're also going to have a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but a number of international uh, speakers so particularly if your bucket list says you want to go to Japan and fish, we have got a number of people from Japan that will be talking to us and having classes. But we're going to have tying demos. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Women Connect presentations. We've got a film festival. And we're really excited. This is our first uh, annual film festival. And our first prize is $2,000 and a uh, entry into the 2023 IF4 International Film Festival. So uh, we think that's a very worthwhile project, and we're looking really forward to that. We'll have vendors, and uh, we're going to have an auction. The auction will be Saturday night, and the benefits for that, and, and you know, this is one of the things, and I really appreciate you bringing this up, Gary. Uh, with that auction... You know, it's not about what you're buying. It's about um, the overall concept of what we're doing with that money. And the money's going to go to conservation. And this next year, we are going to have a real push at FFI on youth programming. So we're going to start a whole new group. Uh, we're doing youth programming now, but we're really going to have a push. And Tim mentioned our education component. We have something called the Learning Center that is second to none for any group that you can think of. And it has over 1,000 tying demonstrations in there. It has topics on just about anything fly fishing. And we are going to do some improving uh, in that with the benefits that we uh, receive from the auction. So... uh, we're very excited about that. Before we run out of time, you've got some not only national and international guests, you've got some very prominent local people who are part of this. Give a throw a few names at us. Okay. Uh, yeah, Landon Meyer is one of them. He's, he's, I mean, he's really involved. Um, and we have um, Peter Stitcher from uh, Ascent. Uh, he's going to be doing entomology. Uh, Robert Youngans from down, uh, down in Colorado Springs area. He's also going to be doing some entomology. Uh, do you know some of the other local ones? I, I know we have um, Jeff Powell's from Fish on Colorado. He's going to be talking about fishing uh, big water, uh, big rivers. Um, well, Al and Gretchen Beatty used to be yes. from uh, Colorado. Yeah. They live in Idaho now, but uh, they're both uh, they're teaching multiple classes. I think Audrey Wilson is from that area, isn't she? All right. Well, you know what? Guys, gal, we we need to get moving on, so tell people how they find out more information online, how they register, and how they attend. All right. Go to Fly Fishers International, and it will show you. It'll come up, Virtual Expo for November 5 through 7, and just follow the directions. There are about 150 workshops and classes. A hundred of them or so are free, and plus we have a lot of tires, so you can uh, either... For 25 bucks, you get in to see everything except a few classes that are have an extra charge. 
and it's going to be on tying, conservation, leadership, destinations, uh, Women Connect, casting. You're going to see some really cool casting stuff that's probably never been seen in a virtual area. Uh, the Pasadena Casting Club in California is going to actually do live casting on uh, on our uh, virtual expo. So we want you to have fun. That's going to be the main thing. So come out and join us on November 5 through 7. It starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time on November 5. All right. And we... We will keep reminding people of that on this show up till then. And remember, folks, this is a virtual you're attending. There's going to be opportunities for interaction with these people. It's not just like watching a video. We have to run, but Fly Fishing International, November 5th through the 7th. Everybody needs to take a look. Patty, Tim, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. That's uh, all the folks from Fly Fishing International. Great organization. Take a look if it's something you're interested in. If you're into fly fishing, not only are you going to learn, but you're going to support some great causes. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the folks from Blue Mesa Reservoir. There's both some good and bad things going on up there, and we'll fill you in on all of it on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 1600 ESPN.